and welcome to what I'm hoping is going to be a mini bubble of this podcast, my streaming bubble. I am your TV watching and talking host, Jen, and I say I hope this is a mini bubble because today I'm tolerating one of the most tolerable and chatty people I know, Laura, and today she will be sharing with me book spoilers from Shadow and Bone and The Six of Crows because Netflix decided to be all like, fine, make me your villain and cancel the fucking series before they finish telling the TV versions of these stories. So with all of that said, let's go ahead and get right into it. Hello, Laura, and welcome back. It's been a minute. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like I said, we're going to be talking about the Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows books written by Lee Baroud. Oh, no, I, nope. Do you ever, like, (laughs) see a name, see something written, and you're just like, yep, I got it. I know how to say it. And then... (laughs) the time comes when you have to say it and all of a sudden all that confidence goes away and you're just like oh no how do letters work (laughs) yes it also happens with regular english words (laughs) thank god i'm not the only one then (laughs) but my favorite my favorite form of this at the moment is like i'm revisiting a book series i know i'll listen to the audiobook so i can experience it that way and I've read all of this before, so of course I've got pronunciations for these weird named stuff in my head, mm-hmm. and they're completely wrong. <laughs> Man, I like love and hate that. Like, I love it because it's hilarious, but I hate it because I'm like, I'm like, man, <laughs> now I got to relearn how to say it, and then that just fucks me all up. So. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> My brain's like, no, we already decided that it sounds like this. <laughs> yep. Damn what the author says. My brain says it's this. Sorry, Lee. No. <laughs> Obviously, the author's uh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so, Yeah, so Netflix decided they wanted to go ahead and cancel Shadow and Bone uh, without finishing, at least giving them maybe one more season to kind of finish telling some of these stories. And because now we now I don't know what's going to happen with Nina and Matthias and 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 pretty boy pirate guy and 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 Alina. And I just it makes me really upset. And Wesper, why? It's so funny because, you know, their tagline is no mourners, no funerals. But I swear to God, the day the cancellation was announced, it was nothing but mourners and funerals. That's true. I mean, they kind of sealed their fate, though, with some of the creative decisions they made in season two. Again, it was always going to be a risk Mm -hmm. mixing the Six of Crows books together with, you know, the Grisha books that that Alina is is the main feature of because they're supposed to be years apart but they were doing so well with it in the first season it lulled me into a false sense of security and you know we already recorded our thoughts on the second season and I Mm -hmm. definitely complained a bit there but I withheld some information Mm -hmm. assuming there was going to be a season three and admittedly curious despite being upset how they were going to do it you know, how are they going to resolve this? How are they going to make this okay? Were they going to make it okay? Or were they just like, screw you guys, we're doing what we want. I don't know. But, and then I'm like, maybe they just canceled the show because Ben Barnes' character died. And they're like, well, there goes half our ratings. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess I can understand that. But even without Ben Barnes, I was still going to watch it. 
Well, because, yeah. yeah, I wanted to see kind of how they were going to clean up some of the mess that was season two. And it's interesting, too, because I was talking to a coworker of mine and I was complaining that they had canceled the series and uh, she hadn't she hadn't watched it yet, but she had friends that watched it and, you know, knew the books and everything. So she's like, yeah, they kind of said, too, that it was a bit of a mess and just too much. And yeah, so I'm like, OK, cool. I'm not you and I weren't the only ones that picked up on all of that. No, we definitely weren't. But um, it, it's like it wasn't enough for me to, like, write off the show and never come back. I mean, it was comparatively speaking to season one, not as good, a little messy. But, yeah, but it still had bright spots and enjoyable exactly. characters and, you know, magic. Like and that always draws twins. me in. Yes. Yeah. And I love the shoe twins. And I liked these kind of some of the characters that we did get in season two. And again, just kind of curious as to how everything was all going to play out now with Alina wielding the, um, oh, God, what was it called? Like the cut. The cut. Yes. <laughs> the black smoky hands and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> thrown out black lines everywhere (laughs) (laughs) so Uh, all right so why don't we start with like do you want to start with maybe some season one stuff that from the books or do you want to just kind of just how you want to how you want to spoil the books for me (laughs) I mean I don't don't think we can really like separate it from season one to season two because things got so intertwined so if you just want to pick like uh, some characters that you want to start with? Nina and Matthias. <laughs> I need to know. Oh, are so they... we go we go straight for the heartbreak. Got it. Ugh, throwing things in the pod basement. <laughs> <laughs> she's not really. She's just miming the action. No, there was like a squishy ball thing that Lee left here. So I just chucked it. because Oh, it was off screen. Out. Yeah. <laughs> I stand corrected. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Ugh, so. No. Nina and Matthias are the most adorable couple. I love them to pieces because of their self-hatred and love for each other being constantly at war. And it's it's just great. Um unfortunately though, <laughs> theirs is theirs is a short-lived, like lesson learned kind of romance because Matthias meets an untimely but very noble end. And this kind of unravels a lot because <laughs> in the show, the last scene we see of Nina and Matthias is Nina watching helplessly as Matthias is forced to fight, you know, in the underground prison fighting ring that Pekka Rollins is somehow in charge of, which pisses me off. Like, Pekka's done, man. Why did they bring him? Anyway. (laughs) And it looks like Matthias is going to die. And I didn't know, like, from where they left it off and being cliffhanger, if they were really going to make that happen or if they weren't, because they hadn't done the full heist that was kind of the thing that made the Six of Crows. Mm -hmm. Um, So Matthias kind of needed to be a part of that. And it had to do with that that uh, drug that we got to kind of see alluded to. Yes, with the, mm-hmm. with Nina's final scene and that that like crazy out of her mind, uh, um, 
I was going to say wizard, but that's not right. But you know what? You know what I mean? Yeah, she yeah. was like completely off her gourd and mm-hmm. and like mega powerful. That's Jura Perem, assuming I pronounced it correctly, because I listen to the audiobooks. Um, but like it's a concentrated form of uh, of some kind of plant that that when ingested by a Grisha makes them super powerful, but also makes them incredibly addicted to it. Like they they cannot live without it anymore. And going without it really drives them to death, but also using it drives them to death because while it makes them super powerful, it taxes them too much. So it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. That drug has like Nina ends up under its effects to save everyone. And it becomes like this really like touch and go thing. Is she going to beat this or is it going to kill her? Like everyone's trying to help her. And, you know, she she's like wasting away, craving this drug, nothing else kind of thing. It's driving her insane. And she somehow manages to pull through. And Matthias is like so relieved. But then I'm going to start crying. <laughs> you haven't even gotten to the sad part yet. <laughs> Thank you. Everyone's happy for her, and you know she's not like she's tor- she's a tortured version of herself. Like she's lost some of her innocence, but she's still Nina, you know. Mm-hmm. And everything seems like it's going to work out great, but then, in the last little like, clean up the mess, get away from everybody, all that stuff, Matthias ends up sacrificing himself to save everyone else, especially Nina. And he makes it back to her just to, like, die in her arms. (laughs) And I, I kid you not, I cried. I cried. Um, I'm going to cry. This was a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, they, they, I think of all the characters and their, their romance arcs, you know, had the most, like, personal growth as individuals and you know kind of taking the the blinders off in terms of what their culture and their experiences and have and propaganda have you know forced into their minds as the truth of things and it was just it was a beautiful thing to watch because and it's also frustrating because you like ride all their ups and downs because every time they're mad at each other they like don't talk to each other and they're like I'm doubling down. Like, who's the more stubborn person in that relationship? I'm not sure. <laughs> That's a good question. Even from the little bits that we get in the in the series, it's really a, a stubborn yeah. off between those two. But they are so good together, and I love it. You know, they made each other better people, and for it to end that way was really sad. But it's like, well, I guess not everybody can get a happy ending because that's just too perfect, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and, then you know, after happy Matthias... being subjective. <laughs> so <laughs> true. So after Matthias dies, then what happens to Nina? Or is that just kind of at the end of what would that would that be Six of Crows? Um that their story is in? Yeah. I don't I don't recall like okay. the specifics necessarily, but like she does get more involved with the Grisha and uh, Ravka again. Okay. Um, you know, she's she's 
no longer the novice heart render that she was. Um, you know, she's she's more than proven herself capable and creative, but she still has kind of you know like a permanent membership to the crows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but what happens to her after that? I haven't read the book that focuses on Nikolai post bold removal. So I don't know um, if she features more in that or not. Okay. I didn't want to read it because I was assuming that, you know, season three was going to happen. And I thought, oh, for something fun, maybe if they start folding that in, (laughs) um, (laughs) then, you know, maybe I'll get to experience this fresh and I won't have to be so like, angry like but they've already changed so many things I don't know if any of the things that they threw in were part of that book or not okay so I'm gonna go find that out (laughs) because I am curious enough now to do it Mm -hmm. but um yeah I don't know I just I felt really heartbroken for the heart render and I again thought that was kind of funny at the same time that of course the heart render is the one that ends up Mm -hmm you know mm-hmm. yeah broken <laughs> uh all right i don't want to do this anymore no. <laughs> all right let's see what about okay what about mal because at the end of season two he's flying off and he oh why are you shaking your head god damn it mal and me and that not nina alina alina are what frustrate me the most about season two because their story was supposed to at least for the you know them being the main characters them being of significant influence in the world was supposed to end with the removal of the fold and there were some events of how that that took all went down that stayed true but when she used Murzoth to revive Mal, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that Wait, is how not are you supposed again? to happen. <laughs> you have ruined your character entirely. How dare you? It's great. I love it. Because, <laughs> like, she, used Mer- she uses Murz Austin in the series, in the book series. She does. Out of desperation and not sure how else to, like, get away and... and find herself again and all that and that's how her hair like turns snow white instead of being what it was and like it's not that she used Murzoth it's when and it's how because here's how it went down in the books she does tell me more have a final confrontation with the darkling in the fold and she does kill him pretty much almost exactly like the show portrayed um except for one you know major detail so when when she kills mal temporarily she kills him when he has his fingers wrapped around her wrist like a bracelet and she is therefore wearing all three amplifiers and the magnification of her power and the release of it is enough to dispel the fold but it is so strong that it it like renders the amplifiers broken after this okay. because she also loses 
all of her power. Really? She becomes, in all essence, an irregular person. Um, her power is instead, as it dispels the fold, all those that are in it, like the, the people fighting in it or fighting near it, get her power. So like a bunch of sun summoners are made out of her explosion of power. The fold is gone. Sun summoners is now a proper like branch of Grisha magic, Grisha science whatever you want to call it. And, you know, they can have their place at the academy and learn how to use their powers. No one is, of course, as mega powerful as she was with the amplifiers. And no one is as mega powerful as the Darkling was with his powers. And given that the Darkling and his mother are now both deceased, I'm not even sure there's anyone in the whole of the world that has those powers anymore. So that's interesting. But she becomes a regular person. Okay. And... Luckily for her, like kind of like in the show, she has someone there with her who has the appropriate power to try to revive Mal, and they somehow manage to do it, but it is like a close thing. It's like the most nail-biting thing of the book, because you're like, are they going to save him or not? They tried right away and everything. Like, they do, and he is no longer an amplifier. He's just a regular person. But they still very much love each other and are sure of their feelings for each other because, you know, they grew up together. They went through all this together. You can't just erase that because the power is gone. That was the thing about the show where I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, <laughs> the power is not there anymore. We don't know each other. I'm like, the, po the power does not compel them. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? <laughs> no, instead, they return to the orphanage where they grew up together, where they met each other. Oh, okay. And they rebuild it. And they house, you know, all the parentless children that have been created through all of the tragedies that is the fold and its creation and its expansion and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but what I thought was the most touching thing about that was that the heads of the Grisha Academy which were now um, Zoya, David, mm -hmm. and Jenya. David, David lives. Yeah. <gasps> um, hey, finally, something good. <laughs> I swear to God, come, if you say Jenya dies, I'm going to flip this table. No, they come and visit them regularly and, you know, keep them surprised of what's going on. But the first time they do it, they present... Um, Alina with you know the sun summoners type robes that they have at the academy like and she's like you know I'm not one of you anymore and they say you always are oh that's nice like, you know and her and Mal like they're traumatized you know and Alina feels like she's missing a piece of herself and maybe Mal does too because he's not who he was anymore either mm -hmm. but they're there for each other and they see they see each other through their emotional ups and downs and and you know their PTSD and all that stuff and you could tell they they really love each other um so I feel like the show took away from that 
it wasn't it was a happy ending for them but it wasn't at the same time because they're no longer the powerful major chess pieces that they were Mm -hmm. obviously they have powerful allies in the remaining grisha and the king and all that stuff but they didn't care about any of that because at the end of the day they got rid of the fold and they have each other Yeah, I was, you know, with season two ending the way it did for Alina and Mal, like, I don't know. I I didn't like, <laughs> I wanted them to be together. It's like within the series, within the context of the series, it's kind of like, ugh, fine, you got to go find yourself and whatever and yada, yada, like, all right. But I hated <laughs> it. I I hated it. It's like the two, the two people who were most sure of themselves and sure of each other were Alina and Mal. Mm-hmm. And I just hated it. Yeah. So then in the show, okay, so you kind of touched on that it's uh, Jenya, David, and Zoya come in and kind of do check-ins with Alina and Mal within the book. But in the series, we see it ending with Alina, Zoya, and Jenya. And they're going to be like this, like, power trio of women power bitches power bitches power summoners and all of that um yeah where do you think that would have gone in the series then do you have any theories or what you would have liked to have seen well you know with david's apparent demise in the series you know the rule as well as i would do we see a body you know so I don't know if they were going to find him somehow or like if he got captured or like what was going to happen. And like with Alina's burgeoning, you know, darkling powers and kind of a taste for it, she looked a bit evil at the end there. Oh, maybe yeah. maybe she would find where David ended up because, you know, of how he supposedly died and maybe torture him who knows i don't know something just it doesn't feel right you know yeah yeah um but jenya and david's story is so cute Mm -hmm. it is like she is very much you know she feels like she's lost her identity Mm -hmm. she's not uh stereotypically beautiful anymore because she's so hideously disfigured and I think the show did a good job trying to mimic that, but I don't think they quite hit the mark yeah. as to how bad the damage was supposed to be. Yeah. And David just loves her the same. And at first, you know, she struggled to accept that. And then she came around and they were just, again, they're just two people who were there for each other. And they like David and her would have these great ideas to try and fix things and make things better. And, you know, it was just cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he was like killed or whatever, and she was like, "No, you can't do that, not Dave." <laughs> <laughs> that was so heartbreaking and just rude to do. Jenya just continued to break my heart all throughout season two. Like I, so sad for her. It was, it was nice to kind of see her with a bit more confidence at the end there with Alina and Zoya and everything. But it's like. You know, deep down, she's still hurting. Yeah, and I gotta say, what the Darkling did to Jenya is one of the most despicable things. Mm-hmm. Like, all of it. 
So what about, since we were talking about kind of Zoya mixed in with uh, these folks, any anything of note about her from book to series, from what we've seen, maybe what we might have gotten from her or? No, not really. I, okay. I think she stayed pretty true to herself. You know, the arrogance, she definitely slept with Mal at some point. The rivalry between her and what? Alina. Yeah. What? What? It's alluded to in the show as well that they hooked up at at camp early on. Oh, Um, okay. And there, you know, there's the rivalry between her and Alina, and part part of that is because prior to Alina's arrival, Zoya was one of the more favored ones with the Darkling. So there was that. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, Zoya is pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, But you know, she grows as a person, and she's still her arrogant self, but she's uh at least she has the awareness to realize you know she might have been wrong about some things and changes her behavior accordingly all right so i i like that they were pretty true to her character okay all right okay let's see who else have we got so we have pirate prince pretty boy and the shoe twins now are they more where are they more featured in the books or do they have what what's up with them <laughs> uh pirate prince pretty boy <laughs> nikolai yes, and the sure, shoe twins um yeah. they're part of the lena story okay um but nikolai is still you know a major player the three years later when the six of crows are doing their thing you know but off in his okay. own area so not like part of the story, but you know he's there and he's pulling his own strings and whatnot. Okay. Um, so there's there would be separation there for sure. Um, I, I think they stayed pretty true to him as well until the end. Like the whole, he looks in the mirror and sees one of the shadow creatures. Mm-hmm. That I wasn't expecting. And again, I haven't read the book that focuses on him specifically. Okay. So I don't know if that's part of his story in that book. But within the you know alina story arc and the six of crows story arc that never happened so i was like oh okay but i mean he's just as magnificent in the books he's a super successful pirate super successful scientist you know objectively handsome supposedly royalty but thankfully not actually related to the king's awful bloodline because his brother's a piece of crap who thankfully dies um yeah that's right i forgot prince pirate prince pit pretty book is a bastard yeah but like an so, embrace an embraced bastard but you know like, like thrones obviously getting alina and mal's real story means that she like truly rejects Nikolai's offer to become his wife and he's okay with that disappointed but he's okay mm-hmm. you know uh, it definitely would have helped solidify things politically a little bit easier for him um but he's perfectly capable of standing on his own two feet so he's fine and I actually like that so much better than what happened in the show where they maybe have a farce relationship maybe it's going to be a real thing but they're both too fucked up for it to work and then Somehow Lena ends up back with Matt. I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like they're doing a disservice to everyone in that triangle by whatever they were planning on doing in the show. Fair enough. All right. So that's 
And the Shoe Twins, I mean, we are just introduced to them in this, in the second season. We don't, we get, we get a fair amount of them, but I think we always could have used more of them. And I was really looking forward to seeing them in the second season because I loved them. Boy Twin, I loved him so much. I mean, I loved both His obsession with poetry was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) It's like poetry and food, I think. Cause or was or was the sister more about like he ate my snacks? Either I way, I don't remember the food part, but the poetry was funny. Yeah, um, I I loved them, and so I'm just I'm bummed that we're not gonna get more of them on screen because they yeah. just were so great. They are cool characters, and I feel like there should be more to do with them. Maybe perhaps in the you know Nikolai focus story because. Like the Jurda Perem problem originates in the shoe government. Um, like the scientist that they break out of the the uh, ice prison is is shoe. Um, okay. And so you know, there's like there's still this whole geopolitical rivalries, possible war threatening in the background for ba- various reasons, but that being the biggest one. And we don't really get a good sense at the end of Six of Crows why they're doing this other than to try and make their magicians more powerful and more dependent so that they can be controlled. But I, you know, I don't know. Um, So it would have been interesting to see how that all played out. Uh, But yeah, they're, they're, they're great characters. I love them in the books too. All right, so I think I think that's going to be that's pretty much going to be it for the characters that mostly surround Alina's story or are there any ones from the books that maybe haven't been introduced yet that are worth noting? They did kind of introduce the guy, you know, in the latter part of the show, that weird like slimy awkward priesty dude. I I never remember his name, but he actually features quite prominently. I remember during Alina's story arc, like he has this whole cult of worshiping her, but like he's kind of keeping her imprisoned, you know, underground under the guise of protecting her, and you know, it's she's severely weakened because of how she ended up there in the first place, and the other friends of hers are trying to break her out and and get her back up to full strength again and he's just he's a really vile person like I never trust the the majorly religious people but you know true to the story he does like send her on the path of like finding out more information about the amplifiers and what they may be and all that but all to to uh, meet his own agenda. Sure. But he's like operating his on his agenda at the same time the Darkling's operating on his agenda. So, yeah, I wasn't sure at all how the show was going to deal with all that. Mm-hmm. So then with the Darkling, because, you know, he dies in season two. So does he comparatively... I guess ish speaking within the books does he live longer because for for him and Alina to have their final showdown or kind of not really it's about the same timing ish um 
he meets he meets his you know just desserts I guess when they they do manage to escape but I can't remember if he actually dies or if they just think he dies okay but uh, I hated him so much from the very beginning he just <laughs> creeped me out yeah and then when you know the, the truth of his agenda was revealed I was like of course of course what was his true agenda then and at least he wanted to control Alina through his cult um he wanted it to be like his way of controlling and influencing the world okay gotcha so then so then again with the darkling does he within the show he dies in season two is that about ish for like with when him and Alina have their final showdown in the books or is that like a little later in the book series did they kind of up it timeline wise or it happened earlier than the darkling's death so okay so um the darkling and Alina have this as far as imagery goes and the feelings communicated during that time because they feel conflicted as well because they are both drawn to each other and everything um one of the most interesting and like visually appealing confrontation scenes that I was disappointed not to see in the show um and that's when Alina uses Merzost and her hair goes white and then you know it weakens her quite a bit um and that's you know when the cult gets its hands on her because they escape underground and everything's supposed to be okay cool we have allies well maybe maybe not you know kind of thing so you know her coming to terms with all that and escaping and becoming powerful enough to destroy the fold remains like the driving force there. Her story absolutely in the books culminates with the defeat of the Darkling, the removal of the fold and the loss of her power. Gotcha. All right, well, let's go ahead then. And I, cause I think that's gonna be pretty much it for the characters around Alina. So let's move on to the six of crows who would you like to start anyone you want to start with Wesper <laughs> Wylan and Jesper <laughs> so with Wylan we find out more about his upbringing and who his father is uh, he's the son of a noble and there's familial issues of the of the type well now he has a younger sibling who is just out of potential uh, going to be the, the heir of his family fortune because Wyland can't read and his father thinks he's defective. So that's that's pretty accurate for Wyland's you know, character because we see that he can't read. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming it's like dyslexia for him. I'm not sure though. Mm -hmm. um, but true to the story, he is very much you know a, a genius with like explosives and sciencey stuff and all you know he's cool I like him a lot and he is just as sweet and naive as as you think he is in the Aww. show just maybe you know a little more due to his former nobility status sure. and, and not just him being young and unable to read um but there is that too <laughs> um but he is so adorable and Jesper they were pretty true to him as well as far as like his flamboyancy and mm -hmm. and his gambling problem and you know him wrestling with whether or not he should hide who he is 
-hmm. as a Grisha. Um, the interaction between him and the person they stole from in the show was interesting because um, it didn't take like getting poisoned and talking to her to have that revelation. It actually he actually has that revelation during the major heist in the ice prison where they break out the Jerda Perem scientist um, okay. and just accepts who he is. So that was different, but like spiritually, it felt good. Um, yeah. Okay. So that kind of makes sense because his hallucination during that definitely differed from what we saw of everyone else everyone yeah, else had something more scary that was that was okay years. though because the story about his mother and how he lost her that was accurate okay um, she she used her power sacrificed herself to save that kid um and because of their culture's view on, on those powers and his father's culture's view and this their own personal feelings because of how she died you know he hides who he is mm -hmm. um so it is nice when he stops doing that because yeah. uh, it's kind of like a watered down version of alina because in the books it it's um you know talks a lot about how before alina embraced her powers she was sickly all the time mm -hmm. you know frail um not much to her um pretty but like it was diminished because she had like this famished look to her all the time you know when she embraced her powers like all of her ailments went away she became an extremely healthy person and jasper becomes a bit more healthier too like he's not fighting himself anymore so you know he becomes a more complete version of himself. Oh, good. And Wylan is a factor in that. Oh, good. So, oh, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> they're so cute together. They I are love so them. cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Um, Inej. Yeah, I, I really like Inej a lot. We all like really like Inej. So we see her in the show. She departs from um uh oh now i'm what's his name now fuck what uh Cass. yes thank you oh god it was like right there she basically so at the end of like season two she basically tells kaz kind of all or nothing and yeah. he seemed to kind of respect that and also seemed to kind of understand where his limitations were and that he yeah. wasn't quite there yet does he get there uh, all well and good for tv really but that was the of all the things that I've I've told you in our previous recording in this one that pissed me off. This <laughs> is number one, and that's saying something. <laughs> I'm sorry because to continue. <laughs> we got to see. I'm gonna I'm gonna go over to Kaz for a second here, and then come back yep. to Inej. We Absolutely. got to see Kaz's story play out mm -hmm. in in flashbacks. That was very well done. That was accurate. Him and his brother got swindled. His brother ended up getting sick while they were living on the streets and dying. And Kaz was so close to death that they just kind of shoveled him on the body barge, too, which really is a thing in the book. Um, yeah, gross. And, you know, he's like traumatized by that contact and the smell and, you know, the sight, the, everything. 
so he wears the gloves because he cannot touch people. He cannot stand the feel of human skin. He will avoid it at all costs. And if he's put in a situation like when they were in the back of that prison truck where he can't prevent himself from being touched or touching someone else, he has that kind of response, that trauma response. He like passes out. That was all very well done um, and true to the books because that happens to him in the books. It's just a different heist, I guess. Okay. Um, and maybe one day he can get past that or make, or at least enough to make an exception. But there is no indication in the books that he has or that he will. There is a slight indication that he very much wants to be able to do it. Okay. But there's no indication that that want is enough to like materialize into anything. So then we get Inesh. She, um, again, accurate in the show. You know, she was like a part of a circus performing kind of, you know, Cirque du Soleil thing with family. And she was taken from them and sold into indentured servitude in the brothel. And, you know, obviously forced to let whoever paid touch her however they wanted. Mm-hmm. So she, not to the extent of caste, but she also has problems with being touched, especially intimately. Mm-hmm. She still wants that, you know, from an emotional and a closeness perspective. But she's not at a point where she feels like she can physically tolerate it. Okay. So her and Kaz come to a mutual understanding of their respect for one another, their respect for one another's trauma and circumstances, and their love for each other. They love each other as much as two people possibly can, romantically, and platonically and professionally you know they they're, they're just as true to the word of partners as you can possibly get and because they love each other and respect each other that much they are okay with neither of them wanting to be touched they can have a full relationship together however they define it without that And if it changes in the future, it changes in the future and they'll deal with it then. Mm -hmm. But it's something that they'll work through together, if that's the case. At least that's the sense that you get. And Kaz really like demonstrates that because he goes at some point, you know, while he's taking down Pekka Rollins and taking over the Crows and the Crows Clubhouse and all the business ventures and everything, which he did Mm -hmm. just like in the show. It was just like that for the most part. And that's where Pekka Rollins is supposed to be done. Yeah. Because he is so defeated, so traumatized, and so worried about his son. There's no way he'd even put it at risk again. Uh-huh. So when he reappeared at the end, I was like, no, 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 no. He's done. He's done. He's done. He's done. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, somehow while Kaz is doing all that successfully, he finds Inez's family. So they get to have a reunion and like, you know, he's willing to let her go do her. I'm going to rescue other women being sex trafficked and all that. Like He's willing to let her go. He loves her so much. 
And he just lays that all out there for her. And I thought that was a much more true to character interaction and decision from both of them than how the show did it. Yeah, because and then because at the end of the of season two, she because doesn't she? I didn't rewatch season two, but because doesn't she board the pirate ship with Mal and the shoe twins and boy twin and her kind of exchange? Because she did save his life and he's like forever grateful or whatever. Yeah, all that is contrived. Oh, okay. She does throughout the Six of Crows, you know, have the notion of wanting to rescue other women and girls who were put in the same situation or similar situations as she was. And Kaz wants to help her with that, you know, once he's had his vengeance and sets everything up. But she doesn't just go leave him willy-nilly. No, they're very much an item. Mm -hmm. Um, So all all of that was like, ew, why did you do this to them? And I loved their relationship the most because, like, one, Kaz is a physically disabled person, and that didn't stop them from not only you know doing these super awesome things but from being together like it was never it was that was never brought up as a factor in the difficulties of their relationship professionally or personally and i loved that but then their their ptsd their psychological trauma that was but it was handled really well mm-hmm. they truly respected and understood and loved each other enough that why would that get in the way they'll have the relate the relationship that works for them yeah that was the most of all the relationships that's the most beautiful one to me for those reasons yeah I could so see for that. the show to go and stomp on it like that oh just completely changes their characters yeah and I don't know how they were going to recover that yeah I mean it's you know they've got to throw in some sort of wedge between the love interests you know they did it with Mal and Alina and then clearly with Kaz and, and Inej all for just like that angsty heartbreak and likely eventual coming around to each other and maybe having a greater appreciation however they were going to try and do it in the series but that's kind of what it felt like it's kind of where it felt like it was going to go they were going to spend season three kind of building these um not not barriers but like just that um why am i struggling with words jesus <laughs> i don't know but it feels like they they cheapen every single and, one of those relationships yeah because just for the sake of drama and there was a television. ton of stuff that they went through and why why would that diminish their relationships instead of strengthen diminish. them thank you <laughs> I just didn't like they went for TV trope. Yep. Yep. Over being true to the story. And, you know, from my understanding, the author was involved in the series. So I would really love for her to like sit down and let everyone know like, was she okay with this? Was she a part of this decision? Was she aware of it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of, it's kind of like George R.R. R. Martin in Game of Thrones. Like he was part of it. But then they ran out of source material. So what did he give them for those last two seasons? You know, it's like how much blame rests on the show creators and how much blame rests on the author here? I don't know. Right. 
Right. Well, like Neil Gaiman works so closely with the Sandman and Good Omens. So yeah. it's can, it can be done well and respectfully. It can't. <laughs> can. Oh, man, I watched Good Omens, Good Omens 2 recently, season two. Uh, I just, I, I was hooked on that from like the moment the first episode started. I'm like, oh, something hasn't grabbed my attention this well in a long time. I gotta actually like pay attention to this. Yes. Oh, I love <laughs> but that. I but love then that how it ended, I was like, <laughs> if I could reach through the TV screen and slap you right now, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to the Good Omens character I'm referring to, not not Jen. <laughs> <laughs> but if Thank I could reach through and slap them, I totally would have. I I, oh, I really would have. Just like. Uh, both cheeks right <laughs> i mean it's like how can you be so happy and then heartbroken like a breath later like ugh. anyway <laughs> we'll cry yeah. about season two some other time because we did season one didn't we we did we should probably do season two right yeah yeah we, we totally should <laughs> after we do the Arrowverse. oh god no <laughs> Oh my God. Hilarious. All right. So where are we, how are we now with the characters, um, books and, and show for Shadow Bone, Six of Crows. Now, anything else worth noting or anything really of importance that happens in the books that you have read up to that maybe you're hoping to see in a third season? Other than like the actual heist that they um, are kind, they kind of set up at the end of season two for the crows? That's the only thing, honestly. Oh, yeah, because that and crazy. course course correction for certain characters. Sure. I had no other thing that I was looking forward to, probably because they went so far off the rails. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I did appreciate that the the show did, like they they made Alina and the Darklings interactions more consensual and less creepy, which was good, but. They also made the Darkling more of a sympathetic character because, like, they showed him going through hardship and persecution and everything like that. In the books, he is just straight up evil motherfucker. Nice, <laughs> manipulative, handsome, powerful evil motherfucker. Oh, just how we like our villains. I, I know. So, villain. but like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, stop making me have more feelings for the Darkling. The show because I'm already like. I really liked him in the books despite myself. <laughs> I don't know. That's the that's the constant internal struggle of being team villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that came up earlier today too. Like we just introduced Felix to the 90s X-Men cartoon. Nice. Which has like the best theme song ever. Oh um, yeah. And he's like, Who's your favorite X-Men? Like, oh, I don't know. I mean, Professor Xavier is kind of cool. He's got mind powers. And, you know, it, he's really powerful, even though he can't walk and all that stuff. But then I'm like, Beast is cool because he's smart. And I don't know. Nightcrawler's cool because he can do like teleporting things. And like, uh, oh, who am I kidding? You know, it's Magneto. And I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> you were trying. You tried. <laughs> 
I think, yeah, I think as an as an adult, I get it, Magneto, right? Like, especially in the movies with Ian McKellen. Like, all right, you make sense. You ain't wrong. Yeah, even Michael <laughs> Fassbender as my yes. as like young Magneto was like, okay, yeah. Like, I don't know if I like Michael Fassbender as a person or anything necessarily, but he's a good fit for that role. Yeah, I I agree, and I think he's very nice to look at as well. So. My, uh, in terms of like the animated X-Men series, we're completely off the rails now. My favorite was always Storm. That's Felix's favorite. <gasps> yes! <laughs> Good boy! <laughs> Which surprised the heck out of me, because normally he's more like, uh, why would you cheer for the girls when there's all these cool guys? Oh, okay. Well, nice little flip there, so... Yeah, I was like, oh, look, he's growing as a person. Aw, hand heart. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's going to do it then for characters from the show and the books of, no, you know, to be discussed. So I guess, um, I guess this is, we're going to start wrapping it up. And Laura, I just want to thank you so much for sharing book spoilers with me. Finally, after two seasons of you not not saying things in mm-hmm. case they came up later. So I appreciate that. Um, and this was a lot of fun. I'm kind of glad we started off with the heartbreaks yeah. <laughs> instead of ending on the heartbreak because I'd still be crying and no one wants to hear that. This is not an ASMR me crying, blubber crying podcast (laughs) sometimes it can be i think but uh so i uh so yeah thank you for sharing all of that and uh, a big fuck you to netflix for canceling the show for i don't know no good goddamn reason there is never a good fucking reason for a streaming service to ever cancel an original series ever i don't care what you what you think the numbers are that you think you're losing you can always give them like a shortened season or you can always do something, right? Yeah, you're, at least, you're not subjected like like network TV was, right? At least They're bring it to a satisfying conclusion. Yes. But an extra fuck you to Netflix for screwing it up in the first place. Yeah, fair enough. So, and yeah, because, because uh, I'm taking a break, so this episode will air in February. Uh, we're recording it in January and HBO just canceled Our Flag Means Death. And there, I will have to say, out of all the fandoms in recent years that have rallied to try and save their show from uh, live action Cowboy Bebop, Pink Ladies, um, even Shadow and Bone, I am the most impressed with the Our Flag Means Death fandom. They got a billboard in Times Square. They got a plane with a flying banner a truck like a box truck and god knows what else all to get the attention of hbo and other streamers to try and pick it up so i saw today you know they're i mean they're tagging like all the streamers to try and get it picked up even netflix and i'm like fuck netflix they're not gonna pick it up because they just canceled <laughs> they like yeah. to cancel their uh representation series I think they might have a better chance at Prime because of, as as some people have pointed out, there's a nice big crossover with Our Flag Means Death and Good Omen fans. Mm. And 
hopefully find a home there. But I think Prime also had, um, not the Pink Ladies, but A League of Their Own. They had like one season of that. And I think there was some queer storylines in there. And then they canceled it. Yeah, I I don't get it. I don't get it either. It Maybe we're living in a vacuum, but I swear every time something like truly, you know, worthwhile, magical, different, just really gets going. They're like, eh, you know what? No. And I don't, I don't understand those decisions. Like if it's a genuinely crappy show, cancel it, admit your mistake and move on. But why is it the good ones? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Honestly, it, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And all it does is just piss me off. So it worries me about Sandman. Yeah. Because that was beautiful. And I'm so scared that they're either going to screw it up or they're just going to can it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's like they took forever to announce a second season for Sandman, you know, and even Neil was like, I don't have, I don't have a lot of pull. It's just based on, you know, obviously how many people are watching it. So really all you can do is just continue to watch it. And so that fandom was all like, just keep playing it. Even if it's just in the background, you got other stuff so they can get those numbers so they can see that it's important and people love it. And I mean, I don't know how long it took, but it felt way too long. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't fun waiting for that announcement. So, but then, yeah, you know, like we say, we get nervous. Like what's the point of getting invested in a, in a series if they're just going to can it after a season or two and after waiting for four years for two seasons, like that's fucked up too. That's unnecessary. So it it better be good. (laughs) It better be fucking good. So it's like, I think in February is when the Netflix's live action airbender um, comes out. There's another thing I'm nervous about. Oh my God. I want to be excited. The trailer looks awesome. I'm digging the casting but I'm so fucking nervous. And it's like, do I even get invested? Like, like what if it's good, but it's not good enough by their standards, then what? I'm trying to avoid all announcements for that show because I just don't want to get sucked in. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to watch it when it comes out. I'm going to as well, but I just don't want to get on the hype train. Cause yeah, I'm just trying to temper my, my excitement and I don't want to, be disappointed so right all right well anyway with all of that said (laughs) fuck you netflix (laughs) um yeah but yeah laura thank you so much for joining me today and making me cry and smile and laugh Mm -hmm. um (laughs) classic us um but yeah i look forward to our next recording whatever it's gonna be whenever that's gonna be but i've got you got big plans for us this year, as I say every year. So Not we'll Arrowverse. <laughs> all right. We'll do Sherlock first, all right? Because I really need to talk about Series 4 and The Abominable Bride. Yeah. I have things to say. I bet okay? you do. <laughs> so until then, thank you, Laura, for being here. Thank you, Bubblies, for listening today. And as always... Keep streaming. Bye.
Bye.